We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Skillful professional footballers playing out from the back around pressure is a delightful approach to football. Something that when coached and executed properly is something we should all aspire to see at our club. But enough about Norwich City. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, Norwich know how to do it, but we don't. This is probably not going to be a ton of fun. But we're going to get through it together, and I want to start by introducing who's on the pod, and then we'll do a little housekeeping and get on with it. So Paul's on Twitter, pause, no, my pants, hello, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim's not here. He will be back after this. Just some travel stuff. Uh, on Patreon, his video match day journal is up, and there's a little segment of that where he talks, interestingly, about some of the reception Shaka received. So if you want to check that out, you can. So two things. First, not going to take an ad break today. Not going to promote The Athletic. Not going to talk about Patreon other than what I just did. If you want to sign up for those things, great, and we love you. But I realize no one's in the mood for that. It'll only piss people off more than they already are. So you know the drill. We're not going to do any of that. Um, the second thing I want to say is just about treating each other well, because I, you know, it's funny. I went to Los Angeles this summer as part of the preseason tour. I got to meet Andrew Arsblog, right. And, and some other great people like Joaquin, James Benj, and, and a whole, a whole host of people. And I found myself having such a wonderful time and made friends and people that I will stay in touch with, um, you know, long-term. And the nice thing is I never had to look any of them in the eye and be like, gosh, this guy could have been a friend of mine if I hadn't called him a cunt on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, the fact of the matter is, nobody likes what happened at the weekend. There are a lot of people that agree with each other. There are a lot of people that disagree with each other. Um, if you want to engage with the opinion, if you think the opinion is shit, always great to express that. The person is not shit, right? Well, I mean, there are some people, peers, you know who you are. But like, 
let's let's all try to remember that like we we are friends we are family and we are we are the only people who will still be in this together when emery is gone or the players are gone or raul is gone or whoever we we will still be here together and i think that that community is so important and you know it's funny like in the discord we now have channels for food and travel and things that where we're sharing stuff that's like not even football and they are the best channels for obvious reasons. So in any in any event, I apologize if that comes across as preachy. It probably did, and I'm sorry because I'm about to be hysterical, obviously. But like, let's be good to each other. I know, Clive, that's something that you always say um, about our interactions. And while we aren't always going to agree with one another and can vehemently disagree with one another, uh, we should be able to have a beer together at the end of it, or a wine, or a bourbon, or or a milk, whatever you want. Anyway, let's get started. Um, and Paul, start with you just for a second. You know. The game got off to a perfectly fine start in the sense that we got up two goals. I mean, they had the first four shots of the game. But what's interesting is I was watching on NBC here in the United States, and the commentators were constantly remarking, and I couldn't help but notice as well, the game just seemed very preseason friendly-ish. I think I tweeted at one point that all in all, this friendly was going pretty well. It felt very low intensity. Watford felt like they didn't care, and we were at a walking pace at times. And I'm curious if you picked up on that and if that had any kind of alarm bells going off for you, especially seeing the way, you know, our rivals came out of the international break raring to go, city aside, but they're not really our rival right now. And we we really walked out of the gates. Did, was that something you noticed? Yeah, it was odd. I mean, the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes was all them. Um, and they got a few shots off, nothing too troubling, but it was all in our final third. Uh, and then we had a couple of moments getting up the other end of the field. But, um, I, I mean, we were playing away from home. Uh, we had this four diamond two thing, so we didn't have a lot of width across the top. You could kind of, it, it seemed more our away approach rather than us imposing ourselves and the totality of our game with possession on Watford. But it seemed like we were willing to play to the strengths of having two forwards rather than three available. Um, and, you know, we had this interesting lineup, This, if you could argue, a very uh, attack-capable um, lineup, even if the structure didn't lend itself to it. But we, our, we had six players uh, up front who were well up for creating stuff, and yet we were slow out of the gates, and we made a, a fairly tepid Watford look like they were the protagonists. And then, obviously, we scored a goal, and that kind of turned things around. And the, we suddenly started to pick up our game after we scored, which is kind of odd. And then Watford, when you take a step back, had two different halves. They were, as you say, not too impressive in the first half. They looked like the team who was about to get rid of a manager rather than got a manager. Yep, and then totally at agree. Ha- yep. At halftime... That man, said manager must have put a rocket right up their arse. And I re- would imagine if I were given a speech, I would have said to them, hey, Watford, um, you know, you've lost the first half. Go out there and try and win the second half. You may not have much of a chance here, but maybe let me point out two other things. It's Arsenal, lads, and one <laughs> goal changes everything. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing I was going to say, Paul, also is, I mean, I don't know that Kike Chan- Sanchez-Flores had to do much because – I'm not really picking on him, but I think Pepe did plenty for the halftime team talk. I think starting a fracas on the touchline and really pissing them off and making them angry in a game where they seem perfectly happy to just take their beating and and be done for the day, I don't think that helped yeah. things either. You know? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It was a weird first half. 
and, and you start going to, well, is it the interlull? Is it this? And, and there's nothing particularly satisfying. You can torpedo any of those. There's a part of me that would like to throw this away as a one-off game because mm. it was kind of weird. On the other hand, you just can't because it's the worst example of the trends that have been in the mail for some time. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny, right? Because in the decline of Arsene Wenger, there are a few games you point to along the way, and not all of them were right at the bitter end, but games that stick in your mind as, you know, when he went from the guy that everybody loved and supported and was behind to to a guy that eventually everybody was ready to move on from. And I, I feel like one of the ones that maybe is underrated that for me kind of broke me a little bit was the 4-4 at Newcastle. And this... I had a similar reaction to this. This hurt me in a way that a lot yeah. of games didn't. And we'll get to why that is and why I think I'm so frustrated by it in a moment. But let's stay with the first half for a second, Clive. And, like, you know, the, yeah. the interesting thing, we talk a lot about individual errors. And even before the Socrates error that gets them back in the game, there were errors. I mean, Ganduzi, who has been off to a great start and certainly one of my favorite players in this team at the moment, made some really ridiculous decisions trying to play out from the back that put us in trouble. Maitland Niles did as well. I think he sort of looks like he's regressing if I'm being honest, but like the more I look at it and the more I look at errors being made by players who in and of themselves are not just shit players. I mean, Mustafi aside and you know, all the jokes about him aside, there are other players starting to play like Mustafi who are clearly good players. Now I wonder if this, you know, Alan Smith came out with an article in midweek, and we kind of hand-waved it because it felt just a little bit opinion-y, but saying that the players aren't really understanding the instruction they're being given. As someone who coaches, are individual errors always a byproduct of poor individual play, or can you sometimes suggest that individual errors are sometimes the byproduct of players being put into positions where they don't feel totally comfortable with where their teammates are going to be across the pitch, with the instruction they're being given, so they don't have those automatisms that make it easier for them in the moment to get the right decision made and, and, and execute. Most individual errors are, are come from a collective source, uh, apart from maybe the Socrates one, but even that has a had a start point. Um, so uh, early in the game... Um, we played the ball to make the Niles. We did, we did his Liverpool, by the way. He's on the touchline. We played to his left foot. We give him no easy out ball. There's no centre-half dropping into the corner flag. There's nothing around the corner. So he's forced to hook it around the corner. We actually did a, we did a rewatch, didn't we, Elliot, of the Liverpool game. We spotted this exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. That happens twice in the first 20 minutes. Right? So he's already on the back foot. So we're playing a game of build-up without the connectivity and the offensive distances. That's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. There was so, I, there's so much wrong with this game. I, I literally could talk for the next hour nonstop. There's so much wrong well, with let's it. Let's try to do it piece by piece, and, and it'll take an yeah. hour. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, and there's so much wrong. And so Paul just brushed over the first. I watched the first half today and didn't quite get time to the, the full second half because I just didn't have the, the bravery, as Shaka would say. <laughs> uh, I didn't have the bravery to go through it. I watched the first half. I'm telling you, for 18 minutes, we were rubbish. We were literally rubbish. We were letting them have shots. And, and I actually tweeted out on the game, I said, midfield's all over the place. We're nowhere to be seen. Where are we? 
right? Because they were getting the ball to the edge of our area, a, con- a consistent theme, probably a theme that's in Paul's mind at the moment, and getting these shots. And these shots, not dangerous shots. The defenders give them half the goal to shoot at, and Leno covering the other half, waving it over the bar, or catching it, catching practice. But it's encouraging them. The fact they're getting to the edge of our area, which is a couple of passes, breaking out of the sides, into the edge of our area, I was actually confused till I got home and clicked on StatZone as to what formation we were playing. And I've never felt that before. I could always spot it. I wasn't in an environment where the commentators were telling me. I didn't see the team sheet beforehand. I was just looking at the screen and thinking, what are we playing? I don't know what we're playing. Guendouzi on one flank, Tobias being run down the left flank, looking like he's treading water. Ozil going everywhere where he feels like. And Shaka, the only person standing in the position, getting attracted into wide areas. As soon as he gets moved, no one covers him behind him. They're taking shots from outside of our D. And our defenders are staying there with the arms behind their back. That didn't look promising. We break the play, we break forward, we score a goal. Bamiyang, lovely first touch, pops it up, goal. We start to high-five and, and clap and smile. Score second goal, Ozil, pre-assist, crop, cross. It's too easy. Goal. It's too easy. So nothing that we had seen in the first 20 minutes, we literally played for one quarter in this game, nothing we'd seen, there was no price to pay. Watford weren't good enough. So we hadn't fixed our distances. We hadn't fixed what happens when we lose the ball. We just went out and played. There were some players out there in that first half, and and before we even get to the second half, that literally did what they liked, went where they liked to receive the ball with no thought process as to what would happen when we lost it. And this team, many people wanted to see all these players play. There's no Torreira because he's too negative. Right, there's no, there's no Willock. We can't have that. We want to get Tobias, Özil, all these guys in the team. Well, there's another side to the game. It's called defensive intensity. And if you can't win the races to the ball to play your game, it doesn't matter what your name is and what you do on the ball. You best make sure you score three or four goals in the first half, because the moment the game turns, it becomes a two-way game then the weaknesses are going to be uncovered. And we, this is not the first time I've said this. Right? This is obvious. right? So that's what we picked today. We picked a slowish team on the ball, and we moved the ball very, very slowly. And we attracted the press all over this game. Right? We had moments of quality for 20 minutes where we looked miles ahead of them. We should have had three. Yang should have had a hat-trick, a near-post flick. Should have had three. And then we get to halftime. You're absolutely right, Elliot. We wake everybody up with that brawl and then we give them a half-time team talk there can only be one team talk they're not that good let's go after them right do you see what i mean so what we need to do is prepare for that and just close our distances but we just carried on and we carried on and we gave the ball away until eventually we got hit on the chin in fact we actually hit ourselves on the chin you know <laughs> yeah, we well. gave them a free goal they did not have the quality to create themselves. We gave them so two free now, goals, to be clear. They didn't score oh, any oh, goals I'm, from open, <laughs> any from real open play. You know? No, they didn't. So we, when you we, think they had 32 shots or whatever it was, and we still went and gifted them two goals because that yeah. wasn't enough for them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we well, give them a goal, right. they were never going to score. They no. were never going to score. Well, right? so... So let's come, let's come to that in a moment. I, I, I want to sort of try to move through this as... as logically as we can, because eventually this is just going to break down into a discussion about Emery, and, and that's certainly understandable. But I, th- I think we need to get through this a bit. And so, Paul, a, cu- a couple of things here. First of all, I 
I think that one of the mistakes we make sometimes when we analyze individual players is we look at the thing they do that's good, an individual good moment, and then we let that be a defense against generally being a weakness in the team. And I am going to point to Granit Xhaka here. Um, Granit Xhaka did some good things on the ball. In fact, for the second goal, the pass he slips into Ozil is a really nice pass, understanding where Ozil's popping up in the space. Ozil with the nice through ball to Maitland-Niles across to Aubameyang, tapped home. Um, Aubameyang's another great example, by the way, just criminally underrated, although maybe less and less so. 60%, I think, of our goals this season um, because he's just so brilliant off the ball. And, and by the way, that first finish, not easy. Not just like a gimme tap-in. Turn, in space, tight space, and uh, slams it home. Now, I say tight space, to be fair. Watford gave him plenty of room to operate. But the reason I bring up Shaka is I was watching this, Paul, and, and I was complaining about him in the Discord, and you know, I was getting from people like, oh, didn't you see he just made a nice pass there, or he just made a nice pass there. As I was watching, to Clive's point about where is the midfield, once Shaka moves to one space, he can't get back to another. I, I think mm. his his lack of aerobic ability, his his lack of running, his inability to make the ground feel smaller is a problem. And I, I mean, to be fair, I don't know that we have enough athleticism in midfield, period. I realize Willick gives us some of that, although this was a nightmare cameo for him, and, and we'll get to that later. But as I watch Ganduzi, who was making mistakes, giving the ball away, under pressure, playing it short, you know, that stands out for you, obviously. And Ceballos, you know, I, I thought was, was tr- too drawn to the ball, something that he even said in his interview he needs to work on. But for me, what was glaring was Shaka's inability to just move across the pitch into positions. And I'm starting to wonder if it's just one of these things where the good pass here and the good pass there, and oh, he did this well and he did that well, ignores the the more general point that from a type of player standpoint, from a, a player yeah. physical skill set and ability standpoint, he's just holding us back, especially when you see how static the midfield was in this game and and, and inability to cover ground. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Look, I think Chaka had a fairly okayish game for Chaka, given his limitations. At a granular right? level, yeah. At a grand in yeah. terms of his involvements, yeah. Yeah, but he is problematic because he's the guy in that spot. If you have an Angolo Kante there, you you cover all sorts of ground with one guy sitting back, especially as you have the other two guys pushing forward. Uh, Sabayas and Ganduzi, who both bring uh, their own brilliance, but their own issues. I thought Sabayas was probably our best player in the first half. I thought he was doing some really good stuff and working pretty hard for a guy who was an eight slash ten. But when you add Ganduzi, who who tends to wander and was having a game in which he was coughing the ball up for no great reason, uh, Maitland Niles over in his corner doing the same. Uh, coughing the ball up ch- too cheaply. It meant that g- it, it, we have this interesting structure where you got this diamond in the middle, which we're, means we're very narrow. And like against Liverpool, uh, Emery is generally pretty happy to give up the wings and not close down people who are crossing. This isn't just something we've seen against Liverpool or against uh, Dale Faye uh, at Watford. Uh, it's a consistent team with, theme with him. So when you then start adding coughing up the ball from Ganduzi and Maitland-Niles, you got Ganduzi shuttling over 
and back getting into trouble or trying to cover Maitland Niles. So we're really stretched on that side. We got Sabios who's giving us a lot of our attacking threat pushing forward. So now you're left with Ngolo Kante in the middle of midfield trying to cover all those gaps. Only he's the very antithesis of Angola Kante. And it's this is a game in which Torreira had to play in the middle because if he he's our only po- positionally sound uh, guy who can who's switched enough and mobile enough. I, I he's not mobile enough to be on the on the the wing of a diamond covering a full back, but he's certainly mobile enough to cover the DM spot as we saw last season. But he's not been given that that slot, and mm. it'll be interesting. This is kind of a look. This was the game uh, I've been saying give Emery time. Uh, I was very troubled by the end of of last season, the second half of last season. But hey, we had preseason, we have the start of this season. You know, give them 10 games, get it established. But this, this for many people and for me, was a turning point. This was the emperor has no clothes uh, for me. And this performance in the first half and then in the second half, you know, the first half was poor and that we didn't respond in the second half. But that set up with midfield. I was excited by the players on the pitch. But it just does not add up that you're going to have Ganduzi on one side, Sabias on the other, and Chaka in the middle. Uh, I mean, we looked we looked stretched in the first half, and they weren't even playing yet. Uh, and you just can't do it. Uh, it, it. It would make much more sense to me if it were Chaka to the left in the diamond, Torreira at the base of it, and... And I just think if, on the right. if you're going to pack the midfield that way, they all have to be able to cover ground because they're going to have to create width. They're going to have to, they're going to have to run out yeah. to wide spaces to cover yeah, and then right. run back into central spaces to get back into position. And Shaka can't do that, and that's not his fault. Yeah. He cannot, especially in a diamond. Those midfielders. Ha- I mean, yeah. the guy at the base. You you saw you know what you saw you saw yeah, a version as part of it. Of a three, I could see Shaka to yeah, the left. Yeah, and I yeah. I I really but, believe that. And I'll tell you something. I mean. I think you can be frustrated with players because they're put into positions that they cannot thrive in, and that is not just their fault. When I think of where Shaka has been good, the only time I ever consistently enjoyed Shaka's performances that I can remember, and memory is notoriously unreliable, but it was in the back three under Wenger where he played with Ramsey in the two in the middle. And Ramsey covered all kinds of ground going forward and backward, and Shaka could build the play, and get it to wing backs and spray it out wide like he likes to do. He had an extra center back for support in the middle of the pitch behind him. Um, he had Ramsey who could run back and cover if he needed to. That's how he won an FA Cup doing it that way, and I think he worked that way. As a single pivot at the base of a diamond, I'm sorry. I this you know We are not in the days of Pirlo anymore, and certainly he doesn't have the defense behind him that Pirlo had, so it just doesn't work. I I think there's a lot more to cover here, and we're starting to trend towards the Emory discussion, and I have some points on that. But, Clive, do you want to come in just quickly on the, the layout of the midfield there? And, and maybe, you, because if there's one thing we will all agree on in this podcast, as bad as you may think the defenders are, or as problematic as the attack looks right now, the biggest problem is we are too easy to play against from box to box. We you You can pick the ball up in your half and carry it right into our third. And I will say this about shot statistics. We got outshot by Burnley, and it didn't really worry me that much because a lot of it was set pieces and headers from crosses and stuff. The reason shot statistics matter 
putting XG aside, if a team is taking 31 shots against you, it means they had the ball in your third enough times to take 31 shots. The territory battle gets lost by us constantly, even when the possession battle doesn't, because we are too easy to play through in midfield. We don't flow back well because we lack the athleticism and the discipline, and we don't push forward well as a, as a unit. And so for me, Clive, that, that midfield area, it's not the players, it's the system, but how do you see the failure in the center of the pitch impacting this this whole calamitous situation we call Arsenal? The players tell you what system you should be playing, and so you just have to decide who you're going to invest in. Right. So if you're going to invest in Shaka, he's got to be part of a double pivot. Simple as that. It, don't stop making a single pivot because you're killing him. Right, so if you're gonna, you know, what's changing our back four this year? We've lost Monreal, we lost uh, Koscielny, we've replaced them with Kolasinic and replaced them with David Luiz, who are both more suited to a three at the back system. Yep. So, so decide what you're going to do. The players are telling you what they're best at. Do it. Right. So, Maitland Niles is a is a decent right back. On occasion, he gets burned, but he's a much better wing back. Right. So, do it. Right. So. So if you're going to go four at the back, fine. If you go four at the back, play a double pivot. You know, everything tells you just play a double pivot. You've got four double pivots to choose from. Pick two of them, rotate them. But make sure you're investing in players you want to bit. If Shaka's your captain, invest in him. Keep him a partner to cover the times when he goes searching for the ball. Right? When he goes searching for the ball, goes to cover a teammate, there's no one covers round for him. And he's left completely alone and the midfield is open for shots. That's a systemic fault. That's not only Shaka's fault, that's a system fault, right? So if you're going to play a diamond, I don't think Sabayas and Guendouzi are the outside tip of the diamond players. They're not athletic enough. They're not disciplined enough positionally. They they both want the ball, right? So they move to go and get the ball and they don't recover back to their holes. Open spaces. Ozil's a 10, but he's a free 10. He runs beyond the centre forward, which he did in this game. So he's not going to give you anything defensively. So your team tells you who you are. This Arsenal and Emery, I gave him a lot of support last year. And the reason why I'm fading on it this year is because I think the coach's primary role is to know his players and to put them out there to succeed. He has known these players. There's been a few additions to make him better. That's how he got the job, the dossier. Remember, I have a right. plan for every so, player. Yeah. But, but, that's, but, but he's had time with them now, Elliot. Right? So he's had time with them. And so I know Jack is not well good in a single pivot. However, Torreira, for you, you're a grime, he's perfect in a, in a single pivot. That's his job, base of a diamond. Why not put him there? Let's not put him right wing. Do you see what I mean? Now, there are things that are happening about how best to use the players, which I think he's failing at. So now I think what he's doing is introducing instability. When you introduce instability, you can then be in queue, accused of introducing confusion. Now, at the start of the year, I went to some pre-season games, and we were playing 4-2-3-1. Two at the base, two attacking wide men coming off the sides to create a box in centre midfield. Remember me on the podcast, how enthused I was about our ball progression? Yeah, and we basically pitch, used it the whole then, pre-season, by the way. Like, we stuck with it, and it looked like we were learning something. Oh, it's fantastic. I was so excited, because I saw it three times on the trot. I thought, we're getting some consistency. Rolling out to fullbacks much higher up, which suits them, by the way. And I'm thinking, wow, we're progressing the ball up the pitch in a consistent way. Players are receiving it back to goal, turning, running at people from inside, hitting wide areas. Later on, 
and then going again for next phase, I'm thinking this is looking quite good. I can see how he's going to utilise these players. We've gone away from it. We go to Anfield. We go to them scared. We go Diamond. You know what? Tactically, it sort of worked. But that was Anfield. Leave it. Leave it. Go back to what you prepared pre-season. Don't throw it away. Go back to it. And if you're going to introduce something, make it be because you've sold your, your left back and you sold your, your, your captain, make it be because the players that you have are now suited to another system, which is three at the back. You've lost your centre forward that gives you structure. You've got another wide forward that needs to be closer to the goal. Get him off the sides. Give him a wing back outside him and get him closer to the goal and get your £72 million player scoring. Don't have him in corner flags being whacked by left backs and, and not getting bookings. Get him nearer the goal where he can cause trauma. And, and I think he's misreading his players, misreading their strengths, and that's my criticism of him. I don't blame him for every single bad pass that goes wrong. I do blame him for not putting players mm. in positions to succeed. Yes, well said. I think that's, that's what you've got to do as a coach. You've got to look at your group and say, how can I maximise this group? And I think he's minimising some of these players, and we are then now, therefore, criticising the ones we want to criticise. You know, we've all got our favourites. Letting others get away with it, by the way. Others that were shocking at the weekend. I put Gwen Doozy in that. Absolutely shocking. Uh, and and then, of course, we've always got the manager because we're defaulted to criticise the manager because that's what we've done for the last eight years. So that's what we've become. And so, for me, criticise the manager because you're not maximising your tools. You're overthinking it, mate. You're overthinking it. Stick to two systems, and so we know what we're doing in those two systems. We always have a double pivot in both systems. Protect your back four. The numbers are telling you, Mr. Data Man, the numbers are telling you people are getting to the edge of our area too soon. Why are you not reacting? You have to react to it. Unless players not do the jobs that you sent them out for, which we don't know. But for me, there should be a box in front of the, the back four. There should be a box apart of ball progression. That's just for me. And that simple six down the middle of the pitch allows you to protect yourself, allows you to progress the ball, and you use your outside players as temperature gauges, depending on where we are in the game and mm -hmm. how we want to push into the game. It's very simplistic. Stop overthinking it because you're leaving yourself open to criticism as a coach and you're hurting your players because you're not allowing enough of them to succeed. Yeah, and look, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think this team is coached by focus group. I get it. We didn't like the back three last season. We complained and bitched and moaned about it and looked bad at the end of the season. But the fact is, <clears throat> we don't have fullbacks right now. We do not. Colosinac is not a fullback. Maitland Niles is not a fullback. We have one center back in David Luiz who, frankly, just looks like a complete clown right now. Um, he's getting some things right. He's getting some things wrong. But he's always looked fine. On the times, I say he's always looked fine like I'm an expert. I think he's he's the kind of player who can thrive in the middle of a back three. And we don't we have one natural wide player in Pepe. We don't have the true wide players to to play maybe the four three three that we might like to, or even the four two three one. So you know what? If you have to go to a back three right now to get by, nobody's gonna like it, but it might work. Sometimes you have to do what works. Um and if you don't want to do that, then go to the four two three one and have that double pivot at the base. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not sure why it can't just be a consistent system or a system that puts players in the right position. But I, I think we have to get to another major issue in this game, Paul, and that is the playing out from the back. Um, mm. We watched Norwich do it at the weekend against City quite brilliantly. It is a good thing to do. I think it is inherently 
a good thing to do. And I think that doing it gives you advantages, breaking down defenses, because if you get past them, you have numbers. You have a transition opportunity. And the issue isn't playing out from the back. It's that we do it poorly. We are spaced poorly. We make poor decisions back there. You know, I sometimes watch us do it, and I think of Emery like a 50-year-old divorced dad walking into the club in Ed Hardy t-shirt and true religion jeans, and he's like, what's up, kids? Let's do Jaeger bombs. Like, I don't know if playing out from the back is a thing he knows how to coach, but it doesn't look like it. I watched some video of the game again, and the spacing makes no sense. The players are played in the traps with nobody near them to give it to. That can't be what we're intending. But more than that, Paul, when you're two goals up and they don't have the quality to really hurt you, do you maybe just say, okay, look, playing out from the back does create opportunity, but it also creates danger. So now that we have the two-goal lead, let's not do anything that creates danger. Let's just punt it long. Where do you come out on the playing out from the back, the degree to which we suck at it, and the insistence upon it? Because it reminds me a little bit of like when we had Czech doing it last season, the beginning of the season, like Czech clearly couldn't do it, but we did it anyway and nearly to comedically terrible effect. So the, 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 dis, the desire to do it in and of itself is not a bad thing, but the way we're doing it and the extent to which we stick with it when it's going poorly, those things... I feel are on the coach. Yeah. You see, to begin with, I'm sympathetic to the idea he stuck with it. I think it's ballsy. I think if you're going to do it, then, then you, you go all in. You kind of can't be half in half out with playing out from the back. As soon as you decide you're not committed to it, then your players start uh, doubting it and questioning it. I also think there's kind of a brilliance, that the more they pushed on, the more aggressive they got trying to break this in the second half, the more they were falling into our trap. Alas, where the coaches got it wrong is, A, I'm not sure he has the players. B, doesn't seem to have coached us to a level of capability that can handle that. And C, um, he doesn't seem to really have the feel for are we good enough as a team to do this? To, and if you, you're not all in, you, you probably shouldn't do very much of it at all. You should back off it as, as soon as they seem to cotton on to it. Uh, so I think you can use it as a tactic or you can use it as a strategy. We're using it as a strategy. It's absolutely central to how we play out. And we don't have the players... They're not well enough coached. I think Socrates is okay, but not great at it. I think Luis is very good at it. I think Kolasinac uh, is not the guy we wanted to be distributing to on the left. We'd much prefer uh, potentially Tierney, though we'll have to see that in action, and Bellerin on the other side, though generally I think Maitland-Niles should be good enough. But on a day like this, the fact that Ganduzi and Maitland-Niles were spilling the ball too easily, the Socrates is adequate but not great, um, I think we really did start to shit our pants. Um, they were actually inside the box for the... That should have been a disallowed uh, goal on their part, but that's that's a, a minor technical point. VAR doesn't look at that, apparently. Uh, but they did actually have a foot inside the box to close them down there. But, hey, you you play to the, to the game and to the whistle, and this kind of felt like it was coming. So... To me, this is all on Emery not assessing the players he has and not, ass- not this not being his natural system. 
but something he's decided to take on, like uh, a, a hardy T-shirt. Hmm. Um, he just doesn't have the feel for where he's at versus where he needs to be to be able to play this. Like I say, it would have been admirable to say, oh, yeah, come on. You know, push on, push on, fall into our trap. You're just leaving bigger and bigger gaps. Sure. I don't think I, there are teams that alternate between this and playing it long, but it's because they know how to do this. They know how to draw a team on and they're good enough to play out. Um, and the reason we he's 100% into the system is because he's still trying to convince them that we're convinced this is the way we play. Uh, I don't think you can 50-50 it or 75-25 it. You've got to be able to play it 100% or you just use it as an occasional tactic when the, the game allows. So yeah. <laughs> I think this is broken now. I don't see a way back for how this is going to work because we're it's not like we shit ourselves in the second half against Watford, but we're going to be fine from here on uh, forward when we get targeted. Well, I mean, this is an issue that has consistently reared its head under Emery. This is not the first time this has happened. And I'll, I'll say this. I mean, look, I? yeah, yeah, just one, one thing really quickly. Shaka said after the match that we were scared. I think the only situation where players are scared is if players are in positions that feel uncomfortable to them. You know, when I go on television to host a TV show, I don't feel scared at all. It's not because I'm supremely talented, clearly. It's because I've done it 10,000 fucking times. And it's just comfortable. Um, I, I think you get scared when you're in situations that are very unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And I think the players are in very uncomfortable situations right now for their skill set and their preparation. And I will say this, even if every player did everything exactly right, go look at freeze frames of where the players are standing from restarts, from goal kicks, okay? They are not in the right positions. They are covered up. They're all in traps. They are not close to each other. They do not have out balls. And I'll tell you one other thing. We have played, I think, the highest percentage of passes or most passes or whatever it is in the league in our defensive third. That is a commitment to playing out. But that also means that the playing out isn't going forward. We're not getting anywhere. And ultimately, the reason you play out is to go forward, not to just continually pass it back and forth amongst yourselves in the in the final third. Clive, come back. Uh, uh, sorry, defensive third. Yeah, you just sort of, I was going to say some of that, basically. what you The reason why you play this... Uh, playing out from the back and by the way let's not compare this is a this is a one season plus phenomenon this has come into our game really in the last year where almost every team is doing it even down the leagues everyone is doing it. the new goal the new goalkeeper rule has it has exacerbated it i guarantee in socrates's career you can probably name on one hand how many times he's received a ball from his goalkeeper from a restart inside his own box. This is a new thing for him. It's new. It's uncomfortable, right? Why are we giving it to him? Why are we not giving it to the the guy that fears nothing in Louise who's, who plays that way anyway? Do you see what I mean? Give it to him. Exit out on the left side. What The reason why you do this is to draw people on. Watford were drawn on. So all you do is knock it out, knock it back, fade it over the top. Fade it over the top to the to the midline or fade it out to Klasnik on the first ball. Let him help it onto Aubameyang with one-on-one. There was occasions we played out, but we were stupid. The absolute, you know, one of the things I always say to players is play what the game offers you. They weren't offering us the ability to have four or five parties in our own third. They were all there, ready and waiting. So you look up, you see they're there, you knock it, and you go. 
straight away over the top and you squeeze up. You squeeze up, you squeeze in, and you play and you put them under pressure. One of the things that's happened to Arsenal since, and I think it's something I've been talking about a little bit, and I hope someone can um, prove me right or wrong. Since David Luiz has come, for me, I feel our defensive line is much deeper. I think we are far closer to the edge of our area. We are not stopping people early enough. We're not squeezing the space, and that is, is killing us away from home. We're starting to see these basketball games now, and I think the space is too big from front to back. And I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable with it because we're losing the ability to press. We're losing running races like in this game and for periods of the Spurs game. We're making the pitch too big for the players that we have. Again, systemically, we're playing a system which is not maximising the talent and potential of the players that we have. We need to squeeze up a lot more. And I think we're playing too deep. If we squeeze up, it becomes a technical game. And we've got quite good technical players. It's a small space game, technical sprinters, small space players that can really turn and move the ball in quickly. But we are playing a game which does not suit the players we have. And it's not just the playing out the back. That's just one aspect that gave them a free goal. It's everything from front to back. Distances, system, shape. We've gone away from something that's starting to work and we've now gone to this system and it's not working. It it, it, it minimised damage at, at Liverpool because we gave them the crosses and we defended the crosses really, really well. This is Watford. Go and play them. And if this if anything's going to kill Emery, it's his inability and I, and I, I say this in a, in a nice way, you've got to recognise the size of the club and the DNA by by which you are managing. You go to these games and you own the ball and you press them back into their half. You move it quickly and you're really intense when you lose it to get it back. It reacts really, really well. We didn't do that. We didn't have the personnel for that. We played a game that literally was covered up by two wonderful goals by our best player that was almost from start to finish the wrong game for the opponent that we were playing mm-hmm. against. Yep, and and look... I'm sorry. You want your fullbacks to be an important part of the buildup when you've got a single pivot behind three midfielders who are all going to get in the attacking half? Mesodozo is not going to help you defensively. Pepe is not going to help you defensively. Aubameyang does put in a decent shift pressing, I actually think, but you know, it's not. He's not Lacazette at that level. Um, you've got three guys up front who are not going to chase back. You're pushing your fullbacks up to to help with with the attack. You never have any sustained possession in the final third. I mean, that's another thing. Paul, one of the things that is so interesting to me, even when we create chances, it is almost never through long periods of sustained possession. Now, I know people are going to say, well, you're wrong because we had 20 passes for our second goal. And they're absolutely right. And that was brilliant. And that is something we've not seen enough about. But if there's one thing I banged on about with Arsenal, we don't put the opposition under enough stress and pressure. It is easy to play us because while we create some chances and we score some goals, you know, people always say, hey, why do you bang on about shot numbers? Fine, we had seven shots. We had two goals. We had, you know, big chances. That's what matters. It's not totally what matters because you need to put the opposition under pressure. They need to feel stressed and nervous so that they are less uh, suited to, to chasing after you so that they are tired, so that they do not feel like they have the the energy, the wherewithal, or the um, courage to come out and come at you. <clears throat> and because we do not control territory, even in this game when we had something like 57% possession at one point, <clears throat> excuse me, we had like 43% territory, meaning that, that we were playing mostly in our back 
third, and th- th- they were playing more in our attacking half than we were in theirs. So, you know, I, I do wonder how you feel about the fact that we don't sustain possession in the attacking third, that we don't put the opposition under enough pressure. And, you know, why you think that is? Is that is that personnel? Is it is it tactics? What? How do we... How do, this is going nowhere, but help rescue me. Yeah, My feeling okay. is essentially we don't we don't create enough stress and pressure on the opposition, even when we're scoring goals. We're not we're not pinning them back. We're not sustaining pressure in their third. It, it's a bit of a mystery why we're so bad at it. Um, I mean, the first piece of it is we're fucking exhausted by the time we've played out from the back. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's like it's a long way to get there. Yeah. It is. It's a long. It's a hell of a lot of fucking work and stress and toil to get yourself a throw-in one third of the way up the field, from which to launch your next your next move. Uh, what I was hoping Sabias was going to give us was speeding our play, which I think he did in our good. 20 or so minutes of the first half when we finally kicked in after the first goal, I think he kind of showed what he did. I think Ozil actually had a fairly busy game for him. Uh, you know, he was right up there with touches and passes. With I thought he was fine, but, but he's good yeah. in games where you have 60% possession because he finds the space, yeah. he pops up, and he makes a really good pass. If you're, if you're not going to have possession in territory, he's, he's a luxury he can't afford. Yeah. But here's this interesting game where Ozil's doing all right. Ozil, er, Aubameyang's working hard for us. Pepe's being busy. Sabalas, at least in it, it, once we kick in in the first half, is doing uh, Sabalas-type uh, things. I'm going to get slaughtered for that one again. Um, and yet, we just... It, we don't hold water. We still leak like a sieve in the final third. To your point, we don't seem to be able to hold territory. We don't seem to be able to hold possession. Uh, we don't seem to be able to um, have a sustained period of pressure that can that lasts across large parts of games. We don't seem to be able to become this pr- protagonist protagonist that uh, Emery talks about. And I just wonder if it's because it's not. Uh, I, I think his intelligence as a coach um, is lacking in a sense. He doesn't seem to have this strong emotional feel for a game like you see with a Klopp, where he can just feel what this game needs. He can feel what his players can give him, and he can put the two together. He just has this tremendous emotional intelligence about what's needed. And Emery is just this more robotic character who thinks hard work and exercises and drills uh, will lead us to the promised land. And he doesn't have a feel for what's required in a game or in this new league to him. He just doesn't have a feel for it because the, the, the we're less than the pieces that are available to him. And as an attacking force and a possession force, the, we have more than enough uh, pieces, players, uh, e- even the teams he puts out and the configurations he puts out, you could criticize them, but they're more than enough with the players, with with the formations, for us to be far more impactful in the final third. I mean, you can criticize the four diamond too, uh, and yet say, hang on, we sh- what, what should we have produced in this game against Watford? A hell of a lot more than we did. You can criticize 
the personnel or whatever. But we had more than enough uh, on the field to have far more impact against Watford. And yet we don't seem to be able to impose ourselves uh, on the opposition. And I know that's not a very tactical discussion of it, but I think you can... You can tact- you can argue about tactics and you can argue about execution, but at the end of the day, the manager does not seem to be able to uh, get a feeling for where we're at w- within the team, within this section of the season, within a game, and uh, translate that. And I, I also think the Alan Smith quote's really interesting because he, of all the pundits you talk about, he is not a shitster. He's, uh, I love him. He's nice and boring in a, in the best possible way. He only talks about what needs to be talked about. And for Alan Smith to come out with whispers from players about He didn't them, make it up. Let's put it that way. He, didn't he did not up. make it up. And for him to say it, it's because he's a very good feeling for where things are at. And things are not good. And I, I think in one sense, the dressing room is being lost. And I don't mean in a political sense, not in a Mourinho's lost the dressing room uh, revolution kind of way. But I think the players all look at each other at this stage and think, I, I understand what he's telling me, but it's not working. And, uh, and he's, he's just kind of losing them. He's not, they don't believe. And uh, I, I think his communication skills are not great. But uh, I think you can work out what he wants you to do, but that isn't the same as getting people to believe, not in a Klopp sense. Yeah. Where, where he can get the, he can not only come up with a plan, he can get people to believe in it. And I just, I think that whole heart, in, in, I'm not just talking about great speeches, I'm talking about the intelligence behind knowing which buttons to push and knowing which plans to select and knowing who your opposition is and knowing your league and he just he just doesn't seem to have it. He's a, he's too robotic in his approach. It's that old familiar feeling of looking at the players on the pitch and looking at the football they're producing and thinking there's a disconnect here. Um, yeah. And I, I felt under Arson at the end that... Yeah. For whatever qualities he had remaining, and I don't think he was some idiot, bumbling idiot at the end, of course not, but he had lost the ability to get the talent to perform at a level that it could. And I look at what Emery is doing right now, and I say, look, if we were, maybe it's just this simple. Some coaches have a philosophy. Look at Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho, at his heart of hearts, wants to park the bus, play defensive, and win a game 1 0. And if Jose Mourinho tries to play attacking football, his whole philosophy falls apart and the team is terrible. Maybe at his core, Unai Emery is a more pragmatic, defensively-oriented coach who is currently trying to find a way to instill a more attacking system, and as an end result, he's getting nothing. Because he does not know how to coach good attacking football, and it is now coming coming at the expense of the attack. Go ahead, Clavian. I think what's happened here is... We've got a coach that reacts to situations. He's re- he's reactive, you know, and rather than somebody that wants to lay down a proactive one or two way system, and so and that can be seen as indicative of a manager of a smaller club where you're facing lots and lots of bigger clubs and you have to tactically try to match them. Well, we're not a smaller club. 
And so we don't need to have that mentality. So I do recognise that criticism. I do think he football has changed significantly, and I, I am not afraid of tactical flexibility. However, within that, there needs to be a framework. So if you want to change your system, but you, you need to make sure you have your double pivot. You can decide if you have two behind, one forward, or two forwards and have one behind. You can decide if you have four or three at the back or wing backs or wide men. But there should be a fundamentals there that give you the structure defensively that everyone can rely on. You know, your, your protection front, your centre backs and how you're going to score goals at the top end of the pitch. Injuries reliant. And, and I think we're, we're slightly moving away from that. Uh, I, I do think um, I do think we're at a crossroads and I don't think this is down to just a coach. I think sometimes we as fans, I think we overrate our players. And more oh, yeah. Importantly, uh, believe me, I agree more, with that, yes. <laughs> more importantly, I think some of our players overrate themselves. I think in this game, our attitude, Gwendouzi's attitude, for example, I felt was lackadaisical. So I'm, I'm going to go through the whole team, right? Goalkeeper's fine. Um Socrates put in uncomfortable situations. Louise, I think, plays for himself. He's too deep. And I think he does stupid things in one-on-ones. Klasenik got tired just before the end of the first half, started making silly fouls, didn't want the ball in wide areas, didn't want to go out to track his winger. When we did a rewatch earlier, I'll show you this, exactly what he did. Doesn't want to go out, so he left Sabias running around till he ran out of legs, right? Um... Maitland Knowles receives the ball too much in, in this playing out from the back, facing his own goal, where we all know when he's facing the opposition goal, he's a completely different player. Don't give him the ball facing his own goal. Why are we doing that? We've seen it. I know your players. We know Shaka's not a single pivot. We know the double pivot. Gwendouzi has the mentality of a double pivot. Play him there. Simple as that. Tobias and Ozil need to be free. Do you need both of them on the pitch? Not so sure. Would I have chosen somebody a bit more, either another wide man or somebody with midfield legs to match Kapuya and Tecore? Decision for the coach. It's not right. Ozil, we all love what he used to be. Let's be honest, he's not fit. He looks frail. He does got no defensive intensity whatsoever. When you go away from home in Mesa Ozil, you're playing with 10 men. Let's call it as it is. Right, Guendouzi, he's been reading the papers all week. He's got in the France squad. So he's going to strut about now, forget his defensive ability. He's going to wave at the fans and give them the old 2-1 sign. That's bullshit. You're 20 years of old in, the, in your second season. Yes, you've got potential. Yes, you're about to sign a bumper contract. Yes, you'll be in the France squad for real for next year's Euros. But you're still playing for Arsenal. Turn up and do the job properly because you didn't. Sobrias on the day did did pretty well until he ran out of legs, as I said earlier. And Aubameyang, he I think it's interesting that you've completely forgotten Pepe, which is a whole oh, other I'm podcast. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Aubameyang was brilliant, got despondent as the goals went in because he's reading his headlines. He's got his Man of the Match award in his hand. And next minute, he's watching these dogs give goals away. And he's absolutely right what he said in the papers this weekend. Pepe, promising, received the ball in wrong areas, not got a single piece of end product in the games that we've seen so far the potential is scary but we need him to deliver now because the light is shining because Lacazette is injured and boy do we miss his structure in this game we miss his structure massively mm. in this game and and so that's where we are that's so, where we are and by the way did you notice how young that bench looked at the weekend well I noticed when they came on because Willock and Nelson had shockingly bad 
introductions. And I think, so you, yeah, you know ahead. what, you know what's worrying me, Elliot? I know what you're going to say this week and lead up to Frankfurt, but I'm telling you, you try to pick the team that allows certain people to rest. Well, but the, all right. So, so th- this goes down to the cowardice of the coach, in my opinion. You just got embarrassed at the weekend. Fine, throw the Frankfurt game. You've got to get by with a small squad while Lacazette is out, while Bellerin is out, while Tierney's out, while Holding is out. The Premier League is the most important thing. You've just made your life harder by getting a draw where you should have had a win. Throw the Frankfurt game. Rotate everybody. Keep everybody fresh for the weekend. Train with them on a system that actually works and come back and beat Villa because you absolutely have to. Don't put that same fucking 11 out there against Frankfurt in a game that does not matter one iota. We could lose... 10-0 at Frankfurt and walk through the, Europe, the Europa League group stage and it, it, it would just represent cowardice by a manager at a big club to capitulate now to the fan sentiment and feel that he has to get people back on side by sending everybody to Frankfurt. But I, I want to say something about intensity and, and Paul, I think this is a really important point. If there is one thing I cannot understand, it's I think we looked better the first five games Emery was at the club than we have in the last six months that he's been here. That is scary to me. I thought the first, the, the Chelsea and the and the City game actually, I thought we looked all right. I saw what he wanted to do. We wanted to press. He did want to be a protagonist. It looked good. You look at how we finished last season and started this season. It's worse. And the one thing I cannot understand: when we lose the ball, we don't win it back. You know, Clive always talks about regain, retain. We do not regain, and we do not retain. If there is a reason I think we are easy to play against, it's because when you get the ball off us, we stop. Paul, in the watch the last 10 minutes of this game. And by the way, in the last 10 minutes of this game, we were outshot, I think, 9-0 or, or 8-0, something like that. We didn't have a, a shot in the last 10 minutes. We lose the ball and walk back and drop our heads. There is no effort, you know, the one thing that City and Liverpool do so well, if they lose the ball, especially in the attacking third, they either race to press or they commit a tactical foul. The reason we're so easy to play against is when we commit people forward to the attack and lose the ball, we don't switch on when we lose it. And I, I do think, of course, you know, as, as Clive is prompting me, Ozil is a big issue with that off the ball. I thought on the ball is fine, but off the ball, that's an issue. Not having Lacazette, that's an issue. Pepe needs to wake up and start doing that. But it's not just the front line. It's all through the team. Maybe some of that is the lack of athleticism we touched on in the midfield. But for you, where is the, pre- you know, where is the off the ball intensity to win it back? The press that so, so many of these good teams are so effective at that we seem totally disinterested in working on. Yeah, so I think that was 100% valid as a criticism last season. One of the things that gave me hope this season is uh, there's a very clear pattern where at home we press, and it kind of talks to the Chaka role a little bit. Uh, if he's getting Can stretched, I stop you he- just for a second? Do you mind? Just real yeah. quick. The funny thing is, the reason I sort of disagree is I look at the North London Derby, and the reason we didn't win that game comfortably is we waited to the second half to do it. If you remember, in the first half, we sat in a mid-block and made it very easy for Spurs. Okay. Uh, maybe. When I look at <laughs> our, our our pressing numbers for the first two games, we're the second most pressing team in the league. The first two are, are two home games. We're the second most pressing team in the league behind our good friends. Uh, I assume Spurs is one of them because they're always the most pressing. Uh, pretty much Everton huh, uh, is right up there. Uh, maybe 
Tottenham is the most pressing team uh, at home. Away, we don't even try. We are the... Now, of course, it depends on which stats you're looking at, but basically we don't try. We are the maybe third least pressing team in the league. So it's a a deliberate policy, right? We, We press at home, and we don't we we pretend we don't even know the meaning of it away, and we certainly saw it in this game. Um, so it gave me a little hope that at least there was strategy there. Uh, do Do you uh, think it makes sense to have such different approaches home and away? Like I think this isn't the 1970s where like the pitches were totally different, and there was a chance that you might get killed by someone at the stadium. <laughs> like away games now are just home games with different fans. Like they're the pitches are all good and they're the same size. You know what I mean? Like, should there be yeah. such a distinction when you're a big club playing at Vicarage Road than there is when you're playing at the Emirates? No, apparently not. And it's, it's not doing this team any favors. So while I liked that there was clear thought there, it seems to be a very bad thought based on how this season is beginning to pan out. Um to some extent, it's also true. Tottenham are doing the same thing. They are not pressing away from home. Uh, they're pressing at home. And, you know, Pochettino and and uh, Emery have a pretty shared history uh, with uh, Pochettino coming into his job back in Spain at Emery's recommendation. And, you know, they've spent time together. They know each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they always match up well in their duels, and, and Emery's done well against him tactically at times. So I think they're they're kind of from the the same school of thought to some degree. It's just Pochettino may be a far better uh, an intelligent manager across <clears throat> across a league than Emery is. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I at least saw a, a strategy that works. You could imagine him saying, "Well." The one thing I know how to do, I know how Pochettino coaches, and he's proven that with a fairly average squad, which has become a very good squad, you can be the third best team in in the Premier League. So I should be able to match that and beat it with the resources at Arsenal. So I can imagine why he he thinks he can kind of cheat from his homework. Um, I don't find it particularly enthralling. It doesn't seem to be working, and it doesn't seem to be joined the dots for the players and and along with all his other inabilities to convince mm. um i think you're right i think that this this polarization of the two approaches pochettino may be able to pull it off but a lesser manager is going to fall between the two stools there there does seem to be a plan and it seems to be going horribly wrong yeah yeah and i mean i i i do think what I think- i'm starting to see as a manager who feels like he knows he has to do something different than what is comfortable for him or natural for him. And the more he tries to get away from the things that he instinctively does, the less the players understand it, the less it's working, the less it fits the squad. I I, I do really believe that we looked like a better team when he first arrived than we do now that he's been here over a year. Clive, before I let you go, I want to do something, not let you go. I mean, let you talk. Um, not that I let you talk. You are a free human being with the right to talk literally anytime you want. <clears throat> but let me just do something here because this is fun. Uh, F365, Football 365 posted an article. <clears throat> 20 ridiculous statistics to sum up Arsenal's form. I'm not going to read all 20. But let's have a few. 
Arsenal have made the highest number of errors, 14, that have led to opposition goals in the Premier League since the start of last season. That is three more than Chelsea, City, and Liverpool combined. The Gunners also hold the record for the highest number of errors leading to shots. Their total of 33 is double that of Newcastle in second with 17. Almost double. No side has conceded more goals from penalties since the start of last season. The Gunners and Brighton both have let in 10 from spot kicks. Arsenal have conceded a penalty in each of their last three Premier League matches. Arsenal allowed Watford, the only Premier League team yet to win a match this season, 31 shots on Sunday, which is the most they have faced since Opta started gathering such data in 2003-04. In the second half alone, Watford equaled their record for shots on goal in a single game. In the second half, they did that. Since they returned to the Premier League in 2015 with 23 shots in the second half, their previous record for 90 minutes was 23 against West Ham, Sunderland, and Hull. Arsenal have now allowed the opponents 96 shots on their goal this season, the highest number in the top European leagues, period. Arsenal have allowed the same number of shots on their goal that Chelsea and United have combined. The Gunners faced as many shots on their goal on Sunday at Watford as Manchester City have all season. Arsenal allowed Watford 48 touches in their box on Sunday, the fourth highest amount any team has managed in the Premier League this season, and only one touch fewer than Liverpool had against the Gunners last month. Arsenal have managed the fewest number of shots of any big six this season. Now realize, we've conceded the most of anyone in the world. We've managed to take fewer than any of the big six. Okay? So, you know, you start to look at this and you say, gosh, these numbers aren't just the numbers of a team playing poorly. They are bad enough to raise issues that go beyond just, yeah, we're not playing great. So, I think we have to start to get into that part of it now. And Clive, I know you wanted to speak. And then in the time when I was speaking, you no longer forgot what you wanted, remember what you wanted to say. So can I, can I ask you what I wanted or has it come back to you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll see what you wanted. And I'll still, (laughs) I'll do two together. Yeah. Yeah. Just stitch it all together. Look, here's what I want to say. I look at the end of the Spurs game and it was weird. It was like, you mentioned basketball track me. I mean, no structure tactics out the window. People standing around, people running into weird places, nobody where they were supposed to be, totally wide open. Spurs had, you know, tap-in quality chances towards the end of that game. And you can say, well, that's a derby. That's just the intensity of it. Sometimes it breaks down and loses its structure. And by the way, don't disagree with that. But the same thing happened against Watford. They had, what, nine shots in the last 10 minutes to our zero. There were times when they had four on two, you know, five on three late in the game where we're walking back. The last 10 minutes... The structure just went totally out of it. When you look at the statistics, when you look at 31 shots against, seven taken, most allowed against in Europe, fewest taken of the big six. When you look at last 10 minutes of games where we're literally just walking and they've lost all structure, at what point do you say, you know, the the expression down tools gets used too much, and I think most of the time it's not warranted, but do you start to worry when you see statistics that are that jarring and ends of games that are that unprofessional. I mean, I think you can call the last 10 minutes of the Watford game literally unprofessional that you have players that are basically with their performance saying, I, I am not on board with the project here. Uh, I have to say that's, that's an opinion in it. No, I I, mean, I'm asking, do you think that's a fair uh, one or do you think it's overstatement? I think, I think I don't think I could, I don't think I could say no. I don't think I could say yes. <laughs> right. yeah? yeah. Because, well, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, because, you know, in the, if we take the second half of the Spurs game, we did exactly to Spurs what Watford did to us. We found energy in the second half and ran them off their feet. 
And the Spurs message boards were saying, what's happened to us? How can Arsenal physically outmatch us? Right, so, and I'm thinking this is encouraging. We come to a game a week later, and we stroll through the first half, and we're strolling around for ten minutes in the second half. Then we shoot ourselves in the foot, and and now we talk about losing the dressing room. Right, so, I think that I, I do. I am not one for massive peaks and troughs. I do see some trend developing about how we're playing that's not great. I don't like how people are getting shots. You can't watch a game and just keep seeing these shots whistling over and think to yourself, this can't, this can't continue. Why is it happening? Um, I'll give, I, I, think we've, I do think we've lost a lot of shape and structure. And it's, it's, it's very concerning about the distances by which we're playing in and about what we're being asked to do. And... I'm I'm really concerned about how we're going to fix it. And so for me, again, what's he going to do to fix it? He's probably going to change the system again. And this is what we keep doing. And I'm not sure if, as a, as a fan base, and potentially now when you keep changing things continuously, and if it doesn't work, then you start to see a breakage between the players and the coach. And I thought that article of Man and Smith was quite um, uh, antagonistic, to be honest, because he can't be criticised for being wrong. And, and if he's right, he's just throwing a little hand grenade out there. If you lose a game, then everyone's going to latch onto it. Right now, was Alan Smith is not a friend of the club. He was uh, somebody that's criticised the previous manager and was not liked because of it and is seen as an outsider of the club with, because of it. So he's not quite on Stuart Robson territory, but he's in that territory as far as Arsenal people are concerned within the club because you're either in the family or you're not. Right? So, and he's not. And so I thought that was a little bit interesting that he is the one that chose to write the article. But it's now out there and people are putting two and two together. I include, and so... That's where we are at the moment. And it is a concern that we feel this way for a 2-2 draw at Watford, where if we weren't so stupid, we could be sitting third today, quite easily with Aston Villa at home coming up. I don't think it would change anyone's opinion about what's happening towards both boxes. We're still not quite creative enough, and we're conceding too much. That problem is there. And for me, it has to change by our distances and our and one or two systems that invest in more players to make them reach their potential. And that is on the manager to resolve this week. We need to settle this down. It's becoming unsettling and uncomfortable viewing. And it shouldn't be. I was watching this game in my football clubhouse. The cricket I was on when I walked in, mm-hmm. they turned over to the football, right? At 2-0, everyone wanted to turn back to the cricket because the game was over. <laughs> They're not Arsenal supporters. Right? The, game, the game was <laughs> over. And I nearly let them, right? I nearly let them because it was, it was done. Only Arsenal could do this. Only Arsenal could turn a cruise into a national inquiry about the coach, the players. We lost the dressing room. I'm not going there yet. But the trend is not promising. Yeah, well said. Really, really well said. And I think... Paul, the the problem is when you see the team struggling in the way we are struggling, you start to reach for explanations, and sometimes you overreach. But one of the places you reach is back to the past. And this this last 48 hours, or 24 hours, I guess, uh, I'm reliably told that there's still just 24 hours in one day since we played. Um, You know, we've been seeing a lot of the resurfacing of articles of his time at this club and that club, and there was a thread that was really, really scary about a game he had when he was two men up against Real Madrid and and like 
basically sat back and hoofed it long and, and got beaten from a 1-1 position up two men. He lost 4-1. You know, that's not great. An article, Get French Football Now, uh, titled uh, Emery's Pragmatic Style is Sucking the Life Out of PSG. And you start to put two and two together and sometimes get 22 instead of four. But, you know, when you look back on his CV and you look back on how it's ended, one of the things that I think is really weird about Emery is where are his defenders from other clubs? Where are his evangelists? You know, if Arsene Wenger took a job at Valencia tomorrow, there would be the people who hate Arsene Wenger who'd be like, haha, sucks for them. But there would still be Wenger loyalists who'd be like, you've gotten a really classy guy, a really exceptional manager, someone who will bring you stylish attacking football if he still has it left in the tank, yada, yada. Here's all the amazing things he did for us. Where are his evangelists? Where, Where's the stuff that that you know, we're supposed to latch on to from his previous time that, that makes you feel that this isn't just a continuation of problems he's had in the past. And maybe that's an oversimplification. I mean, look, the guy won the Europa League multiple times. You know, he did get into the Champions League. But are you starting to look at this and say, this football is Emery football? You put two and two together and eventually you have to get four. He's been here over a year. There has been no progress. We are a bad team going forward and a bad team going back. At what point do you say... Look, data isn't everything, but the data is overwhelmingly pointing in the direction that he does not know how to get this right at this point. Does that mean he could never do it? Does that mean that, you know, when the fullbacks come in, that won't suddenly flip the switch? Of course, anything can happen in football. But right now, the stuff you read about his previous endeavors and the stuff that we've seen for a year strongly point to a man who who doesn't have the answers for a club our size. There was no question there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's more a you thing than a me thing. Yeah, that's fair. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, but hang on, hang on. Uh, it's not that I don't think you're right. I'm just, uh, you know, every fiber of me says, uh, well, let's see, is there a scenario in which he can kind of play his way out of it at Arsenal? Arsenal's different to PSG and the scenario he had there. It's different to his two innings he had in Spain. It's if it's in uh, different... Be- uh, from being sent off to Russia or wherever he was. Uh, each one has been different. Um, but yes, as you look back with 20, uh, 2020 hindsight is a pejorative. But as as you look back, you are seeing more and more alignment of his path. Um, he doesn't have to be defined by his past, but it seems... That's kind of it, it's starting to look like that's who he is. And, you know, even even the first season, I'll kind of give him that one because it wasn't his squad. But this is his squad now. Um, he we got him four key players over the summer that he wanted. Um, he's had a good preseason with them. And he's, you know, he's had a run of games. The, the first four ish games so far have been OK ish. Um, and then the Watford game happens. Now, they've been okayish in the sense of not very good, but you could kind of conjure how things could turn and go in an upward direction. I really do think this was a bit of a Waterloo for him. Now, we may look back on it. In an, I, I, my metric was giving him at least 10 games before starting to get a, 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 a firm lock-in on how I thought his season was going. I think everybody deserves mm. 10 games to impose themselves. He hasn't got his, his full backs here yet. Um, but he should be able to play good football with Maitland-Niles on the right. And yes, okay, you're, you're 
maybe carrying Kolasinac, who's a good wing back, but not not a good full back. He he should mostly be able to play the football he wants to. And it seems the one th- thing you might one bone you might throw him is that he's only had a couple of home games, but we've done okay at home, um, and he managed to get decent results at home last year. And that's going to be the base he's going to have to build his his fight back here. Um, as he gets the players in, he's got to get to the inter- next interlull uh, without getting mugged in an alleyway in each game going forward. He's got to start producing. Um, so, yeah, there's all that narrative, and I think there's more to it than narrative. There's all that history. But the thing that really bothers me is his are, are the performance, the numbers, the underlying performances of last year. When you look at the stats... And you come into this year and our performances underlying our results are even worse. And then you have a Watford and it's like, holy fuck, mm. what is going on? That second half, totally abysmal. Um, can he fight back from here? Yeah. But does there, there, there have been a lot of people saying from last year, look at his performances, look at his history. And I've, as the saying goes, poo-pooed that to some degree because of giving him his first season, giving him his summer, giving him his squad. But I expect to see in the first 10 games, either he's getting results or he's getting performances. And you could argue about results. Our results are probably ahead of our performances. I mean, we are actually in the top group. Some some might defend <laughs> him on that. Mm. But I just don't see the... I mean, this performance, maybe it's an aberration. Maybe it was something to do with the interlull. Maybe it was a one-off. Maybe we're just going to be shit at away games for a while uh, while we build on, on home games. Maybe we'll look at back on this. But, but I'm not one of those who tends to pile on on a single performance. I tend to give managers complete seasons. I tend, I'm Mr. Judge Them in May. And man... I really felt the emperor had no clothes yesterday. And look, I mean, you talk about one-offs and stuff, but like we know how last season went and what the stats were. The reason you use stats is just to see if there's consistency. Arsenal have had fewer shots than their opponents in four of their five games this season. Only Bournemouth, Burnley, and Palace have done the same. Okay? Uh, pardon me, Norwich and Wolves as well. So We conceded, what, we're 96 jo- shots? 96 shots, most in all of Europe. And Holy I'm, fuck. And, and that leads to another issue. Clive, I, I want to ask you a more general issue. Then we'll get back to just one thing on the game. We'll say goodbye because you can only do this for so long. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has accounted for 62% of Arsenal's total goals this season. There are only two players that score for Arsenal. Lacazette and Aubameyang. Neither of them have signed a new deal. And I'm reliably informed we've been trying. It hasn't happened. He made some sort of frustrated noises in the press. We get to this summer, and he and Lacazette are going to have to be sold or re-signed. Yeah. They are the club right now. I mean, I, I shudder to think where we could be without them. And we're in a weird, tenuous position. This is one of the reasons why I think persisting with Emery too long is dangerous, because first of all, Chelsea had a transfer ban. They're going with youth. It's working a little bit. It's not working a ton. But look, they are vulnerable. Lampard is not Pep Guardiola. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not Pep Guardiola. Both of those teams have weaknesses. There's a chance to get back into the top four this season. You may, may not have to be great to do it. That window's not going to stay open forever. Um, we have young players that need nurturing, that can't afford games like this on their CV, in, in their confidence level, in their development. And we have older players in Lacazette and Aubameyang who just won't tolerate it, who, who won't stick around for this. 
They want to be in the Champions League. Their careers are winding down. We are wasting Aubameyang years that are far more elite than we give credit for. We have one of the best strikers in Europe and we're wasting it. So how worried are you about the combination of the key older players not wanting to sign on to this project if we stick with it and the younger players maybe taking steps back if the if the circumstances get too poisonous? Um, yeah, I've heard that Aubameyang is close to signing and I heard that his contract is, you know, with bonuses is in, is in the Ozil territory and um, that's what he deserves because he's carrying the club on his back at the moment. Um, and Lacazette also seems to have the, the heart of a leader of, of our club also. So, yeah, obviously it's a worry. Um, I don't want to go overboard on that one, Elliot. I think... Um, I do think Emery has got, he's reaching that moment before Christmas when the injuries return and they start to get to some form. He's going to have a semblance of a squad, which I think can do something. And the excuses of having certain players last year and having cracks in the squad, they disappear. They become less and less and less. And it's up to him to define an identity for Arsenal define a a playing personality and I think he he has on good days we all we, we all say he has but I, I I was really concerned by this day I was really concerned by how disconnected we look as a team um I just didn't like the gaps on the screen I just didn't like it and and that told me that we just weren't working hard enough for each other I, I just didn't see the level of expertise or experience and game management. I didn't see it. And uh, what I keep seeing is our most experienced players are the ones that are making the catastrophic errors. And it, it can't continue. It's just unprofessional. It's elementary. It's unprofessional. It's laughable. People are starting to laugh how we can turn, you know, victories into defeat dramas it's just laughable and i think okay we need to breathe i've just seen a predicted frankfurt team come through on my on my ipad and the bamiyang starting mate so you need to breathe as well and um, oh, oh, look and, you have to breathe before you go on a rant or you'll run out of air <laughs> <laughs> um because uh, what i will say is yes we've done some great work clearing a half million pounds a week off of our wage bill we've got rid of a lot of dead wood and there's a couple more that they wanted to go potentially one or two more we haven't really put those numbers back up and we are going to lean into our youth players a lot so we as a fan group need to support them you know and really help them settle into this into this team because they're going to carry us through the Carling Cup, or sorry, the Carabao Cup. They're going to carry us through the first phase of Europe, and we're going to need them to succeed and go big, you know, because I'm looking at Bamiyang's face. You ask me what worries me? What worries me is I can't see him. I can't imagine the team without him at the moment. And who are we going to I don't to want to imagine the team without him. Yeah. And, and so that means he's not resting. That means he's working hard. He's not get, he's not coming off in games. He's playing 90 minutes. That's not sustainable. That's not good, especially when he turns around and people are giving away goals at the back door. So we got to be careful there. And I, but I'm, I tell you now, I'm not sure what the options are because, you know, without yeah. him, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I mean, look, this, this is the point. You know, look, I, I hate bringing up Arsene Wenger because it, this is not about Arsene Wenger. And Arsene Wenger had to go, but like, even when he had Shamak up front or Giroud up front or whoever it was, like Arsene Wenger had a flair for getting us to score goals. We were always one of the top three, 
two, you know, in goals scored. And, and I guess to be fair, I think we were last season too. So this is a, a silly, stupid point. Never mind. Um, I, I just think that that we need to we need to find a way to get ourselves clicking going forward because I am not convinced that we are going to be a better defensive team just on personnel and the strength of personnel. And maybe if we find a way to get get ourselves clicking going forward, we'll have more control of games. We'll tire out the opposition more. We'll break their spirit a little bit more, you know, not make them feel like they have an easy path into the game. You know, one of the things that did happen under Arson is teams always knew they had a route back into the game, so they never really quit. And that makes it hard to kill a game. You know, if Man City gets 2-0 up on you, you know you're dead, you know? So you, you quit. And and we need teams to start quitting because if we, they don't, we're going to let them back in it. Paul, last couple of thoughts here. You know, one of the things about Emery last season is he made a lot of halftime subs. And while that rankled people at times, I actually thought he had a reasonable feel for making changes to fix games in games. I thought early in the season he had a better feel. Late in the season he started to lose it a little, although to be fair, injuries robbed him of some selection opportunities. Um, I don't know that he has that feel anymore. I, I feel like his substitutions have been more gas on a fire than they have been relief. And I, this game, he just totally handed them the game with, with the substitutions, in my opinion. Neither Willick nor Nelson could keep the ball. And by keeping Pepe Aubameyang and Nelson on up front, you had no control. Um, you know, he brought on Willick at the expense of of uh, Ceballos. And while I think the athleticism, I understand... We just wound up with a team full of players that couldn't put their foot on the ball and get the ball back. And that made it even easier for Watford to press, to run at us, to get the ball back and keep coming. So do you have any thoughts on the manager maybe scuffling a little bit with his changes too? And I have sympathy for the fact that it's a young bench. If you're going to make changes at all, you're probably opting for young players. But I didn't think he made the right choices in this one. I mean, and I get that that's with the benefit of hindsight. Fully fully acknowledge that. Yeah, um, so uh, a lot of people agree with you. I agree with half of that in the sense that I I have less of an issue with who he brought on and more of an issue with who he brought off and when. I mean, maybe Ceballos, for whatever reason, was shot because he, he was playing for Spain and he did, he did kind of put it all out there for them. And, may, you know, maybe he did wilt early, but I'd much prefer to have gotten Ozil off um, I, I saw the logic of bringing Nelson on, for example, because he's actually very good work rate on the left wing. Uh, he go, he works both ways, and I could, could have seen us taking off Ozil and bringing on, say, Nelson on that side. I liked Torreira coming on, and I know Wilk, Willock uh, had a bit of a mirror kind of doing the CM job, but actually pushed us forward a couple of times later on and started becoming into it. I could see why he wanted those legs in midfield. I just didn't like who he subbed off and the choices he made. He, you know, obviously there's the Chaka debate. Uh, I would have wanted Terrera. Uh, I've no problem with Terrera coming on. I would have preferred it even more if he'd had the balls to move him centrally and to move Chaka. Um, Nelson doing lots of work in midfield. I could see the the purpose of bringing on extra legs because for whatever reason, we seem to be dying in midfield. And Nelson running up and down the left wing um, should have sprung us forward and should have given us some additional cover. It just didn't kind of work out that way. But I think he took the wrong people off. Maybe Sabias was no longer up to it. 
but he's a busy little fellow who can play dig us out of midfield and with Nelson ahead of him that would have shored up our left side um, so that's kind of my take on it I, I agree with your basic point which is he seems to have totally lost his feel for the substitutions and the players he took off and the logic behind that I, I didn't get yeah <clears throat> I, I think the problem is Arsenal are a team that if we're going to hold on to a game and, and claw our way back into a game we need to have control you know if there's one word that keeps coming up with this team under Emery it's it's control and our inability to control games I and think we, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's game management, Elliot. It's just game management. I think the game management that we show and tactical awareness that we show in games is not befitting of the club that we are. It really isn't. You know, some of the decisions that we take on the pitch just are the exact opposite from what we should be doing. And I think that I, I'm, I'm genuinely cannot read or understand why that is the case. It's been something that's going on for many years, particularly away from home, and, we, and it's just continuing. We've changed our manager. We've changed most of the players. We've changed all the backroom staff, all the fitness people, all the analysts, and it's still going on. This inability to manage key moments under pressure, we derail. And, and we've, so we've, we've, we've booed out certain players that made the most mistakes. And guess what? We've got a couple of new ones making the same mistakes, right? So An old familiar you know, feeling. If, it if, won't go away. If Mustafi, if Mustafi had done what Socrates had done, he'd have to wear a stab vest walking around London. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's where we are. So what are we going to do? We're going to go to Socrates now? Or are we going to queue up on Louise now? You know, do you see what I mean? We've, got, we've already got Shaka in our eye lines. Because he's made a couple of glaring penalty errors, and every time he doesn't play a good pass, we which just continues. The general theme is our game management and tactical awareness of doing the right things at the right times in games is poor. And when you said earlier on at two 0 it's dead. If Man City have got it, they're not just better players; they're smarter players. They're smarter. Are they though? They, I mean, look what Odomendi did at the weekend, the right? Like they've they've got some idiots in oh, their team if they're if they're allowed yeah, to to do their own thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, that's down to the you know that's down to the new philosophy of playing out from the back to try to create one on one situations in the higher third of the pitch. And Otamendi, a player that you know Man City have got one weakness. They've got two cruciates at the moment in Sane and Laporte, and basically. They miss Laporte desperately, and they've got two centre backs that barely play together. And guess what? Weakness, mistake, concede three goals. It's football, mate. It's football. But we continually show a lack of game management. And if you look at all the times we've had these major podcasts, crisis editions, I tell you now, it comes back to the same thing. Mistakes, game management, a lack of tactical awareness. And a lot of it comes from our centre midfield, I'm afraid, which feeds into our back line. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, I... I... <laughs> You know, it's hard. I don't get any joy sitting here being like, oh, the manager sucks and, and he needs to go and everything sucks. Like, n nobody wants to be thinking that. Like, I, I am prone to occasionally veering towards the negative viewpoint on things. But if you follow my comments in our Discord chat on Patreon or even on Twitter, I have tried to hold out the possibility for improvement. And the reason is... I want that to be possible because it's not going to be a lot of fun if it's not. And there is a window. The reason this feels so urgent 
is I really believe there's a window for this squad to finish in the top four this year and get that crucial Champions League football back and continue on an upward trajectory from there. And we cannot let it go because Chelsea and United are clubs that will not leave that window open for us indefinitely. You know, although Ed Woodward certainly will try. I think the other point here, and we'll end on this, Paul, you know, when the Arsene Wenger argument was raging at its peak, there were things that the pro Arsene Wenger people clung to as their argument for why he should stay. Whether that was going all the way back to an Invincibles era, or three FA Cups in four seasons, or a big win that was a lot of fun, there were things they would cling to. Emery has beaten one team heavily in the Premier League, Fulham. Other than that, we don't really step on people's throats. We haven't had many fun days out. I mean, I guess we kind of kind of, sort of hammered Valencia in the semifinals of the Europa League, although to be fair, we also gave him a lot of chances. But I guess what I'm saying is, is part of the problem with trying to make the argument for Emery that there have not been a lot of high highs. Now, to be fair, last season he did a little better in the big games, and that was what we, we sort of clung to, and, and we did manage a draw against Spurs at home. I, I guess that's something. But for you, what is the... What is the counter-argument right now? What would be the argument for why persisting with this makes sense, given that there's a lot of data that suggests this team is in a really bad place at both ends of the pitch? Look, not much. Um, I think uh, I'm personally of the opinion that I see tremendous potential in this squad and if it's not all there yet it's on the right track we suddenly have a very young profile a lot of very good players coming up uh when we have a game like this suddenly every you know the the stock suddenly falls on all these players but i i don't think that's right i think um the core we have here is totally heading in the right direction and i'm my, my concern with emery is uh, not just the Champions League, but as you intimated, where we're at with this project going forward, um, if he's the wrong guy. So I definitely have that uh, concern hanging over me that I don't necessarily think this is a judge him in May kind of situation. His ace in the hole has always been, and I think it's a bit of a crutch for him, but also maybe a bit of a crutch for the, the risk is there. It's a bit of a crutch for for those in power at our club. Europa League. Uh, he's always the guy who will get you, at least he's proven it with us, he'll get you to the semifinal. I'd get us to the, the semifinal final. of the Europa League. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you got this How quickly would the dressing room turn on me? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I, I don't actually think it's that easy. But I, I take your point. A... a a reasonable manager with this team, given that we're one of the strongest teams in the Europa League. We, But you can understand why that's an attractive crutch for people to back away from the tough decision. Uh, but it's a very dangerous situation, I think, for the club. I think it's dangerous for the manager. I have a horrible feeling that having gotten fucking dusted by Watford, we're going to see him double down on getting a good performance in Europa League, and you can come up with all sorts of excuses as to why that would make sense, but it's not what we need to be doing. We need to be good in the league. There's no guarantees in the Europa League, and my concern is that the worse things go in the league, the more 
the less brave he's going to be about risking it in the Europa League and get just getting through the group stages and then trying to perform in the later stages. Yeah. So Sorry. that's his ace card, but I think that's a very problem problematic ace card to have. Sometimes when you're putting a puzzle together, there's that one piece you put in that makes the puzzle make a lot more sense and suddenly all the pieces fall into place. That is an overly sunny perspective, in my opinion. But it is not beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt that Pepe finds a little form, you know, starts delivering the ball on time and getting a little end product, and the fullbacks come in, and having real competent fullbacks unlocks a little bit of what Emery wants to do, and the whole thing looks just a little more coherent, and suddenly we're fine. We're not going to be Liverpool or City when that happens, but we don't have to be. We have to be a 72-point team, probably. And and I, I don't think that's beyond us. But things have to click now. And I think we are in that last chance saloon position of if the fullbacks coming back doesn't make this look coherent, if Pepe doesn't find a little form, if we don't find a way to put this together in a way that makes sense quickly, then decisions have to be made because this season gets away from you and next season your window could be closed. I mean, it it changes that quickly when the teams you're chasing are the size of Chelsea and United. So I think we should leave it there. We've got a, a Patreon pod scheduled for tomorrow. Clive and I are going to do a rewatch this week as well for patrons, so that, that'll be out there. And, and I mentioned I wasn't going to do uh, any of that, so I apologize. So let's leave that. Um, but Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Nate, look, I am looking forward to doing this rewatch with you, buddy, because I, I think while the hemming and hawing and moaning about the manager has to happen, I think getting granular on a game like this and trying to see what the fluck even happened is is worth it because let's not sugarcoat this. I think the second half against Watford, bottom of the table Watford, winless Watford, is as bad as I've seen Arsenal play in any game in recent memory. I mean, as we say goodbye, is that fair, guys, to at least say you'd put that 45 minutes up against any we've played and say it's as bad as any we've played? Um, I would say we un- if the game is split into four quarters, we played well for one. We were we were flat for the first quarter, good for the second quarter. We were flat for the first five or ten minutes after halftime, and then from about fifty plus minutes onwards, we were second best in every single department. Out of two, yeah, <laughs> I'd say we're third best. <laughs> and I'd say basically yes. I don't know if it's the worst, but it's it's right in there. It's 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 really. Really, uh, yeah. Really set itself up for the title. Yeah, and and that that's why the worry. I don't want people to think, oh, we get a draw and suddenly everyone's throwing their toys out of the pram. It's not that we got a draw away to Watford. Like that, that can happen. It's the manner, especially the second half and having been up two goals. So we'll leave it there. My name's Elliot Smith. You should absolutely block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, Tim will be back to rescue the pod in future episodes. Give us a five-star review. You know, if we can't have Arsenal at the top of the table, maybe we can have the Arsenal Vision podcast at the top of the table. And we do love you and appreciate you. And we're all in this together. So as I said at the top of the pod, we are a community of people that love Arsenal and care about each other. And so we're going to argue and disagree about our opinions, but let's not be cruel to one another because we are really literally all we have um we're going to turn it around i'm sure and and finish third and this podcast will go into the bin with the first emery podcast although to be fair emery podcast number one starting to look like the right one emery podcast number two starting to look like the wrong one we'll revisit that later my name is elliot smith as i mentioned okay all right that's gonna do it uh not much else to let you know that's going on but we'll definitely have a pod for you after the uh 
the Europa League game midweek. Maybe we'll do a halftime show, bring back some of the live shows for that too. So lots still to do. We'll see you uh, on the Twitters and the Discord and everywhere else. And we appreciate you. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Frankfurt nil. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com